0: Today we're joined by James Altucher. He's an entrepreneur, angel investor, chess master. He's founded 20 companies. He's the author of 25 books, including Wall Street Journal bestsellers, The Power of No and Choose Yourself. He's the host of the James Altucher Show, which has over 40 million downloads. It includes guests like Mark Cuban, Sir Richard Branson, Tyra Banks, Tony Hawk, Ray Dalio, Tony Robbins, the list goes on. And in this episode, you're going to be getting some hot takes. You're going to be learning how you can leverage AI now to stay relevant, which is super, super great. And we also talk about why you should never publish anything unless you're worried what people think of you. This was a live recording of the After Hours Entrepreneur Mastermind. You can join the mastermind below to get access to people like James today. Join us. We'll see you in the next meeting. Without further ado, enough of me. Let's bring on Mr. James Altucher to drop some bombs. Hello, James. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Uh, We're thrilled. We're thrilled to have you here, James. We've been like, you know, reading and watching and listening from afar, and we're excited to dive into some topics today. By the way, this is a live podcast recording in the Apt Hours Entrepreneur Mastermind. Members, if you've got a question, feel free to raise your hand, and I will get you a chance to ask award-winning, best-selling author of 18 books, Mr. James Altshuler, a question. And it looks like we do have a question here from Carrie. Carrie, do you have a question for Mr. James Altshuler here today?
1: I sure do. Hi, James. Hey, how are you? Good. I was uh, taking a look at your website yesterday and kind of familiarizing myself with a few details. And I noticed, obviously, you're a prolific writer. I think you wrote like 22 books, maybe on last count. And yeah. we talk That's a lot, about... lot of
2: dates, like 25 right now, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not counting.
1: Okay. <laughs> and I was wondering. Well, one thing I read was you said, "Don't write about anything unless you love it or you hate it." So, based on the context of this conversation right now, with you know, talking about the world and where we're at, what's one thing that you love and one thing that you hate?
2: I love figuring out how, like, we all have problems. We all underperform at different moments in our lives. Maybe some people are perfect, but most people are not. And I love writing about times when I have failed or gone broke or been depressed. And what's this? not the technique of how to bounce back because nobody knows techniques, but what was my story in, in bouncing back and, and, and how did I do it? And there's always a story. It's always an adventure. It's always dramatic. And, you know, in terms of, in terms of something I hate, I hate when I think, and I always could be wrong, but I think people are not being rational. So for instance, that New York city is dead article that I wrote, I felt there were significant problems that were being ignored about New York city during the, the COVID shutdowns during the pandemic and I felt nobody was paying attention to them and now these are serious problems like they have evolved into serious problems and so I wrote that because I hated the fact that people somehow were ignoring they were being blind to these problems and by the way when you write something out of either love or hate there's much more uh, chance for it to do well to go viral as far as I know Mm -hmm. that's the last article I could think of that really has gone viral I mean something like Twenty million people read that article and believe I know this because I got over 1 million death threats from people living in New York city. And I'm not even exaggerating the number. Like it was like 10 a second for a while. And it was very depressing at the time. Actually. I haven't even written about how depressing it was to have Jerry Seinfeld plus family members, write articles that just didn't make any sense, but just hated me. But the other, the other thing I will say is I try never to write something unless I try never to hit publish on something unless I'm afraid of what people will think of me. So, Hmm. and I'll just use that article again as an example. That's, I'm a very optimistic person, but that one article I presented problems where I didn't really know what the solution was going to be. And I was afraid, since people know I'm very optimistic, my readers know I'm very optimistic and I usually come full circle with solutions. I was afraid, what are people going to think when I just don't have a solution here? And lo and behold, that became my most viral article ever, much, I didn't intend for that. I've, you know, I've also written things like don't send your kids to college, don't own a house. I oh, I never thought anything would go more viral than those because those were pretty viral. And then I've also, you know, I've written a lot about, again, my failures and how I've overcome them and, and so on. So those are the things I, I like and hate.
1: Can I, that's awesome. Can I just add a follow-up because you kind of touched on a little bit. The other question I had was about when you do write like you do, because you write about a lot of different topics, finances, you know, marketing, dating, all this different things. We have to be vulnerable to write, obviously. How do you deal with like the backlash of that vulnerability?
2: Yeah, it's very hard because, and there's different types of backlash, but, you know, people could hate you about something and then they take, you know, people have many ways of debating. They can debate the issues or they could debate by saying you're a horrible person and explaining why in great detail why you're a horrible person. So there's different types of of backlash. But I've had backlash on almost, to some degree on almost every article I've written. I once wrote an article, this is a really long time ago, one of my daughters was like, I don't know, 12 years old. And this little boy at a party, you know, that was in her class tried to kiss her and she was very like flustered. And so I wrote an article the next day titled, I hope my daughters are going to be lesbians. And <laughs> I got a huge backlash on that. Like all these women wrote, or men and women wrote, Oh, you, wait till your daughters see this when they're older, they're going to probably hate you. And I'm like, Hey, first off, whatever. If they hate me for that, then that's their problem. But you know, it, it is what it is. You can't, Ultimately, you can't care too much. If you care too much about what people are going to think, and I do care what people are going to think probably too much, but if you care too much, you're not going to be able to do good writing because then you're just writing in the safe zone. You're writing what everybody else is saying. I already read what everybody else is saying. I don't need another one. I have a podcast. Probably everybody here has a podcast and many listeners might have podcasts. If you land in JFK Airport, they give you a podcast at the gate. So like everybody's got a podcast and I get constantly pitched Yes, Everybody's written a book, how to be a leader at business, how to not care what people think about you. Like there's 6,000 books with these topics and just write something new. There's new things out there you can write about. And that's the AI is going to replace those people, those Mm -hmm. writers. Like you have to write about your human experience and there's nothing perfect there's nothing perfectly good and there's nothing perfectly bad. So that's where we come in and and create the imperfect and and move society forward with that.
0: I, I love that takeaway of I never publish anything unless I'm worried what people will think of me. That and you know, I, I heard I was talking to Patrick bet David about this a few weeks ago. I said, How do we stand out in podcasting? How do we do it? He's like, stop agreeing with everybody. Stop agreeing with people. Stop saying me too. Start taking a hard line. And those are some great examples. It also rings true with that episode you just published on the James alt Show with Seth Godin. You just released an episode with Seth Godin. We're talking about purple cow and you're talking about how to stand out by finding those interesting yeah. edges. Um, yeah. Yeah, super, super good. Robert, Robert has a question here too. Robert, would you like to ask James a question here?
2: Well, I'm just going to tag on to Carrie's to question because when I was reading about you in entrepreneur space, you said, don't start a business unless you love it. And then you talked about the article that you didn't have a solution. And I kind of feel like entrepreneurship is really providing solutions and starting businesses is about solving problems. Can you expand a little bit on this idea of encouraging people to start a business to solve problems that they, I guess, love or hate. If you personally have the problem, and you seek to solve it, chances are other people will have that problem. But now most businesses are not started because you personally have a problem. There's nothing wrong with that. Like Someone who who buys a laundromat, for instance, they, they could have done their laundry at another laundromat. They didn't necessarily need to start a new laundromat. So there's many reasons to start a business. But one thing that's very interesting I've noticed about most businesses is that you create something and you think you know, you think you have a solution for something, but you don't truly know. And I'll give an example. A friend of mine made this cybersecurity app and his roommate from college was the, the CIO, the chief, you know, IT officer, information officer of a major tech company. It's one of the big five to 10 tech companies And it's his roommate who's the decision maker and the product costs $150,000. So he brings his team. He flies out to Silicon Valley, presents to the decision maker. The the whole team of the decision maker is there. And the guy says, love this. This would save us $40 million a year. And you're saying it only costs $150,000. We're in. If you just add these one, two, three features, we are in, we're buying this. And so my friend said, oh, this is amazing it's my friend from college. He has a huge budget and he said, yes. So my friend goes out, raises money for his business, finishes the product, goes back to the company. And the guy's like, oh, you know, maybe not this year, but next year. And of course the guy never buys it because maybe he has other things to do with the money that solved $50 million problems. So when somebody says yes to you, yes, this solves the problem. There's no actual information in there. That's like placebo information information. The only information is when someone says, no, here's why. Because that's real. They're really telling you why they're, they're not going to do something. But there's a lot of reasons people say yes. Maybe they say yes to get you out of the meeting. They want the meeting to be over. Yes ends the meeting. <laughs> that might be the only reason mm. they say yes. Maybe they say yes because they don't know. They haven't really thought about what other opportunities they have. Maybe say, they say yes because they think this is cool, but it doesn't really solve their, their biggest problem. So, but no means something. So if you have a site and you realize, oh, not as many people are using this website as I thought, find out why, and everybody and everyone's telling, my mother is telling me this is a great website and all the other people are telling me this is great. Find someone who doesn't use the website and why they don't use it. That's your real problems that you have to solve. Let's say you want to write a book, okay? Let's say you want to write a book about leadership. Look at the top 20 books about leadership on Amazon and look at the negative reviews, This tells you what none of the authors are saying. Readers are happy to tell you what you have not given them. And that's how you can figure out new topics for books, for instance, and, you know, and so on. So yes, you can find a solution, but sometimes it takes a while. Like Google had a solution for something, but it took them a good five years to figure out what it was they had the solution for. They had a better advertising solution than any other search engine. I didn't care about their search engine results. It didn't seem to me any better or worse than AltaVista, but Google figured out how to be a better solution for advertisers. I love
0: that idea of being able to, to find the nose. That that to me is the worst. I, I hate this. Does you, do any of y'all ever get this where someone reaches out to you and say, hey, I love what you're doing. You're showing up all the time. I just, you look so great, but uh, what what do you do? Yeah. Has anyone ever gotten that before? That is the worst. That is the word. Like, there's nothing worse than someone reaching out, giving you a compliment, and then asking what it is you actually do. That's the worst. So, anyway, that's really, really, I think, sound advice. I have another question for you, James. I don't want to like monopolize the stage, but I have another question that I think is really important. Something i I'm thinking about. You've written 25 books, multiple bestsellers. Bucket list for me is writing a book. I want to write a book. It's on my bucket list. But I wonder if writing a book means the same thing now as it did five, 10 years ago? Because quite frankly, I could have my team write a nonfiction book in like an hour just going back into all my old podcast episodes using AI to rewrite it and putting a little bit of mark in there. Does that like dilute the efficiency or the purpose of books in general?
2: Yes and no. I mean, yes, you you could now use ChatGPT and spend an afternoon asking it prompts and it'll write a book. It won't be a good book. It won't be a well-written book. No matter how much You know, people think AI is going to just keep on improving and improving. AI is not a good writer. It's going to take a lot to make AI a good writer. And you say your bucket list is to write a book, but do you love writing, for instance? Do you love reading?
0: I read daily. I don't love writing. But yeah, I mean, I think for me, reading is one of the best ways to learn and to get that halo effect.
2: Yeah. Yeah and re- and reading is a good way to learn to write. Like you read a great writer and you learn to write. You have to love like oh my gosh, this writer did it this way, That this other writer did it that way, and I'm going to try this in this new format of talking about entrepreneurship instead of love in the time of cholera or whatever, but I'm going to use that style. And 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 you can experiment and you could have fun writing a book. AI is not really going to do that, but l- let me ask you a question. What what's your hobbies? What are your interests? Oh, What's gosh. an interest you had as a kid that you've given up because now you have responsibilities and work? Yeah,
0: sure. Like, I used to play a lot of basketball, used to, you know, play video games. Now all my free time is basically hanging out with the kids. I like to run. I guess you call running a hobby. And and do you follow basketball games right now? Not as, not as much as I used to. I mean, the Heat, Go Heat, we're just in the, the NBA finals, so I followed it a little bit, but not, not super closely.
2: So, like, there's a million topics within basketball that... Could be good. For instance, how old are you right now? Just turned 40. Shout out to all the 40-year-olds. Right. You don't look 40. So what if you wanted to play basketball right now? How would you how would you go play basketball?
0: Oh, I'd crush it. I'd go to the local the local pickup spot. I would start draining threes from from downtown and I'd be like, Who wants it who wants the new Steph Curry on their squad, right?
2: Who who could crush you if you were to play in in what court would you be crushed? In what like street court would you be crushed? Oh gosh. Probably, you know, just honestly going
0: down and, and then playing with like the 18 and 22 year olds, I'd probably have a rough time in the second round.
2: And what would it take for you to be as good as them? What kind of work would you have to do to be as good as them to be as good as you once were?
0: Well, I probably need Elon to, to, to you know, continue to iterate from Neuralink to like Neuralegs. I think that would be a good start, you know.
2: But I, I bet you with the right training and the right focus and determination, you could be... As good a basketball player as maybe not the best 18 year old, but like you could get competitive. And that would be a journey. That would be an adventure. That would be the arc of the hero. Like you'd be reluctant to do it. Nobody in your family would be supportive. Your friends would say, You're crazy. Why don't you just keep making money? What are you going to spend five hours a day training for basketball when you're 40 years old? So, but you'll meet your allies along the way and you'll meet the 18 year olds who will crush you and laugh at you. So, more and more enemies. And then finally, Hopefully, you know, A, you'll hit bottom first, and then hopefully you'll achieve your dream, your goal of like coming back to the basketball court and pursuing your what you loved as a, as a child. That's a book about basketball. That's a story. A, I can't write that story. And I'm just making that up. There's a million stories out there. What's the history of the shortest basketball players I- in history? <laughs> How did they get good? I always think of basketball players as really tall people. But there are some people smaller than six foot who became like, all-star basketball players. How did they do it? I've never seen a book about that. So that would be interesting as well. Like I'm thinking, and I don't know anything about basketball. I'm just like making it up. How does one own a basketball franchise? You could write about the business of basketball, like the history of all the franchises and how they've got their valuations. How did Mark Cuban buy one? Steve Ballmer bought, like what, why are all these internet billionaires buying basketball teams? Why aren't other billionaires buying basketball teams? So there's all these questions I'm curious about Best with it could either be personal stories or stories that are unique to your questioning mind. And these are all books that AI is not going to write, and you would do a better job than AI writing them. AI is really good, like, oh, you know, then this happened in the Revolutionary War. And then this happened in the Constitutional Convention. And then George, what? you know, AI is good at like describing things that have happened in a very plain, even if you say write in the style of Hemingway, it's not going to be that great. It's not, he, he, Hemingway spent 30 years figuring out how to write in the style of Hemingway. So, and that took a human brain, which is much more complicated than an AI brain. And so, again, the AI is just statistics. It's like, oh, a Hemingway story, if it starts with these three words, then this is the next word. So, it's not going to be a great writer. So loving writing, loving basketball, figuring out stories you could tell within that is going to be an incredible book. I dig that. And I would definitely
0: implore the advice you gave just a few minutes ago on, you don't want to publish anything unless you're worried what people think about you, right? Yeah, That to me is probably one of the most important things I think people can hear right now. If you want to stand out, you need to be willing, I think, to make people upset.
2: Yeah. And also nobody should write something just for the shock value But like, let's take the first idea for you. If you're 40 years old and you want to quit everything and pursue your love of basketball, get better at basketball, once again, for the first time since you were 18 years old, actually improve with a coach and and whatever. That's a little bit like of a shocking kind of story. Like nobody does that as an adult and you have to make sacrifices to do that. And you might be afraid because maybe people close to you will say, oh, you know, I thought he was going to be an entrepreneur or this or that. Instead, he's just playing basketball you know, something frivolous. So there's a little bit of fear there. That that reminds me of the Arnold
0: movie on Netflix right now. You know, best bodybuilder in the world decides he's going to be an actor and then his phone goes dead for five years. But the hero arc, like you said, which yeah. if you haven't watched that, net, that Netflix documentary, highly recommend. Great, very good.
2: very good. Yeah, that happens to a lot of actors. Like Henry Winkler, who played, I don't know if you remember, played the Fonz on the TV show Happy Days in the 70s. Even Paul McCartney said, Henry Winkler is the most famous person on the planet. Paul McCartney said that in 1977. And then Happy Days, the TV show, ended, and Henry Winkler couldn't get a job for eight years because he was typecast. Same thing with William Shatner. He was typecast. He was living out of a trailer before the Star Trek movies came out, and he kind of came back. So it's hard. It, every Everything's hard. To, life is hard. And writing about your little corner of that difficulty is always an interesting story.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. And of course you can listen to James interview with William Shatner on the James Altucher show and every podcast and YouTube platform that you like. I'll put links below to make it super easy. James, where's the best place for us to find you if we want to get more James in our life?
2: I guess my podcast or my book, choose yourself or my book, skip the line. Those are my two favorite books that I've written. Yeah, that's it. The James Altucher show. You can find me on Twitter
0: too. And guess what? You know what? Everybody, I know this is surprise, surprise. I know what you're thinking, Mark, I'm never going to find James again. I'm going to make it easy. I'm going to put links in the comments right below, right there in the description so you can find James easy-peasy, lemon,
2: squeezy. Well, next time on Miami, one-on-one basketball. (laughs) Let's go. Let's go. I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to hold you to that, brother.
0: (laughs) And then we'll play chess right afterwards. It'll be basketball chess. I'm down. Yeah, we didn't even get into your chess master advancement. Do you think you could be an AI robot in chess?
2: No, computers are impossible to beat in chess. Mm -hmm. And I know this because I worked on the first computer that beat Garry Kasparov in 1997, who was the world chess champion at the time. Wow. The computers were, ever since that moment, were always better than humans. Well, hopefully,
0: Elon, you give us the Neuralink so we can beat the humans in chess. Please help us. Help save us from ourselves.
2: I think Neuralink, if it fully, the the full Neuralink, which is not going to be anytime soon, but let's say 20 years from now, that will end chess as a game because then it's all computers.
0: Yeah, that's kind of scary that we can't even play games with each other. Like my daughter will be crushing me in Uno,
2: finally. Or even poker, like poker, backgammon, anything that relies on statistics or like sheer calculation, computers are just better at yeah, the
0: Neuralink thing is crazy, is, is really crazy. I You know, I don't want to hold you here, but if you want to give me a hot take on Neuralink, I'd love to ask while you're here, you know?
2: I think right now, it's it's what they're testing is for disabled people because, oh, let's send a signal to the specific neurons that move the arm. And so it'll move like the prosthetic arm that somebody might have. But to actually like access the internet and retrieve the information and see the information and know the information, I don't think they're anywhere close we don't even know how the brain works really. So they're nowhere close to to figuring that out yet. So that's a relief because I do think Neuralink is more of an existential threat. Like you're thinking about AI. I think Neuralink, it really is an existential threat to big chunks of what we love about being human. I'm a little pessimistic about that, but I hope it doesn't happen anytime soon. Because I want, I, want, I like playing chess. I don't want to play chess against someone with a computer in their head. Then it would be pointless. Yeah, well, it's, it strikes me that assuming Neuralink does what it
0: probably could do, you're not going to be replaced by AI. You're going to be replaced by someone that's using AI. Same concept. You're not going to be replaced by Neuralink. Someone using Neuralink is just going to be much better than you, and you're going to have basically two types of humans, humans with Neuralink and humans without Neuralink.
2: And I don't see how you could possibly compete. Yeah, you can't. It's, again, like competing in chess against a computer. There's no way. Like, if the world chess champion played a computer 100-game match, he would lose 100 games to zero. So mm-hmm. or maybe 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 he would draw once. 99 and a half to one half. I'm all
0: for solving problems but uh, I agree with with James here on keeping our humanity. Humanity is uh, is important. Thing to be thing to thing to take sacred, hold sacred I think. Yeah. Yeah. No ch- chess obviously a great game and hopefully one day we'll beat the robots.
2: I don't know. We'll see. That'll be impossible unless we have neuralink. <laughs> there up.
0: Yeah. Again, once again, thanks everybody for being here. It's always a pleasure hosting these events and uh, yeah, James, just glad to be connected, be on your radar. I look forward to meeting you in person someday.
2: Well, thanks so much. You guys Thanks. nice meeting everybody. Thank you.
0: Boom, boom, boom. Awesome. Well, James, I-, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, so much, so much for being here. This was
2: awesome. I really yep. appreciate you guys asking me on It's really fun. Re- really great questions. Great stuff from, from people listening. And uh, I really appreciate it. I enjoy these. No, you
0: killed it. Great, great thought leader. And I feel like we just scraped the surface.
2: Well, thanks so much, you guys. Thank- nice
0: meeting everybody. Thank you. Thanks, James. Many blessings, brother. Thanks for being here. Thanks.